Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. Privacy and security are not mutually exclusive. We've got that story, plus Ukraine is about Germany. But first, Canada invokes Emergencies Act to seize convoy funding. We grab this from OffGuardian.org. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Finance Minister Christia Freeland held a joint press conference where they announced their decision to invoke the Emergencies Act in response to the Freedom Convoy protests. The Emergencies Act 1988 is exactly what it sounds like, a piece of legislation designed to grant the government special powers in the event of an emergency. By officially declaring the Freedom Convoy an emergency under Part 2 of the Act, public order emergencies, they claim the convoy comprises an emergency that arises from threats to the security of the nation of Canada that's so serious as to be a national emergency. So formally and legally, the government says these people represent threats to the security of Canada. These people with locked arms, singing and dancing in the streets with smiles on their faces, constitutes a threat to the security of Canada. So, James, my apartment management might call real emergencies, and they do, blood, flood, or fire. Don't call us if it's not one of those three things. And this is none of those. The distinct lack of a real emergency is probably why the CBC talking heads are reporting that the convoy wanted to overthrow the government and, of course, that they're being directed by Russian agents. The Emergencies Act gives the government the power to take special temporary measures that may not be appropriate in normal times, which is, of course, delightfully vague. But what form are these measures taking? Seeing as the act has literally never before been used, it's hard to predict how they'll use it. For now, at least, it seems to be financial. And we've seen this already for the last couple of weeks. Freeland detailed how the government will attempt to monitor and control crowdfunding sites and payment platforms moving forward. All crowdfunding platforms must register with the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada, FinTrack, which requires them to report any large or suspicious payments to the financial authorities. This specifically includes cryptocurrency. Canadian banks are now empowered to freeze or suspend regular old bank accounts without a court order and are protected from any legal action against them as a result. To be clear, if a bank freezes your account because they believe you donated to the convoy and you maybe lose business or miss a writ payment as a result, you cannot sue them, if that sounds familiar. This is the panopticon of the new digital gulag. This is the start of the depersoning. This will expand to every country and every offense, if we let it. And it won't stop there. The precedent has been set. In future, other acts vaguely defined as domestic terrorism could incur the same penalty, re refusing a vaccine, for example. Specific rules don't even matter. They will likely change based on what the establishment narrative demands, but the punishment will stay the same. Play along or we take your money. This amount of control is exactly why they've been pressing so hard for a cashless society. James, an interesting one. I mentioned briefly on my Morning Monarchy, Ottawa police chief Peter Slowly worked for Deloitte, the folks that built the VAX track system for the government. And then, oh, wait, update. Peter Slowly resigns as Ottawa's police chief. James. You know, it's funny, James, because growing up as uh, in Alberta, I remember my dad talking when I was a kid about how Trudeau ruined the country and every Albertan hates Trudeau. Of course, he was talking about Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and it's funny because I have played that clip a number of times about Trudeau invoking the War Powers Act to deal with the FLQ crisis and the implications of that way back in the day. And here we are, and Trudeau is now 
in declaring the 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 son of War Powers Act, the Emergencies Act. Yeah, very interesting. And hats off to Kit Knightley for putting the emphasis on exactly the right place with this story, because the real reason what they are doing here is invoking these emergency powers in order to stop the funding and specifically to bring these crowdfunding sites within the purview of FinTrack. That is what this is about. That is the heart of what is going on with this move. And yeah, of course, there's the policing and other things. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll even use this as an excuse to roll out the military in per- some sort of subsidiary, we're helping the police kind of role, just to, you know, get the population used to that. But I think the heart of this is about this cashless society agenda. And that should be worrying to everyone, because this was, I think, what is one big loose hanging thread in the overall agenda that they definitely want to weave into the tapestry of the global world order they're erecting right now. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you guys can talk with each other online, but oh, you're trying to organize? Oh, you're trying to pool your resources and direct them towards things that we don't like? Uh-oh, no, 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 no. So this is an incredibly important part of setting that precedent, and it's no surprise that people like Deloitte's Peter Slowly would be involved in this, but let's let's play that game a little bit more because, of course, there are all sorts of fingerprints all over what's happening in Canada right now. Just last week, we were talking about the what Klaus Schwab's penetration of cabinets around the world, including that of uh, World Economic Forum young global leader uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, um, who, let's be honest, is a puppet of the most obvious kind. No one on the global stage takes. Canada's first blackface prime minister seriously, nor should they. Uh, he's a lightweight. Who's really who's really the people that are really penetrating this cabinet? I would point to someone like Deputy PM Christian Freeland, right? Minister of Finance, who is the one who is actually making that announcement in that speech about FinTrack and the crowdfunding sites and what have you. And who is she? Oh, let's play the game. Look her up at the World Economic Forum. Oh, that's right. She is a member of the World Economic Forum's Board of Trust. It doesn't get much more inner ring than that. So again, the fingerprints are all over. And exactly as we were saying last week, you have to be willfully blind not to see that there is a global agenda that is unfolding right now, a global oligarchy, a clique that is running these events. And they are going to use these crises for exactly what they want to use them for. This is no no exception to that rule. Kit Knightley nails it. This is about the cashless society or the next steps toward it. And... This is this is the real battle, I think, that we're we're facing right now. I think it was just last week I mentioned Christia Freeland as the charity fraudster in Canada, who then, as many criminals do, they get rewarded for their chicanery, of course, within the the, the powers that shouldn't be. I like that, James. The the son of the War Powers Act being used by the son of Trudeau. John Rappaport was writing, I think, about the, the the intelligence connections between essentially infiltrating and go fund me, go fraud me, and all of this going on. But back to the cashless control grid, James. It sounds like the U.S. could maybe use some some fin track, and much like you were mentioning there, like Trudeau running things. The same with Brandon. This following article, of course, mentions Biden's going to do this, and Biden wants to do that. It's, it's of course that's the puppet frontman for the powers that shouldn't be, as it has always been. They just kind of change the faces sometimes. IRS abandons plans to require third-party facial recognition. This sounds like good news. 
the IRS, the hated Internal Revenue Service here in the States, will not use a third-party company to verify new accounts with facial recognition, the agency announced in a news release. The proposed move, which would have used a company called IDME, ID.me, criticized resoundingly by privacy advocates and even some members of Congress who say the technology is flawed and wouldn't recognize users if they experienced significant physical changes, let alone if you're taking weird gene therapy shots that are changing you from within. Previously, the IRS said it would use the software to cut down on fraudulent accounts. The IRS will transition away from using a third-party service for facial recognition to help authenticate people creating new online accounts. That is the quote, according to their news release. Senator Ron Wyden, the Democrat from Oregon, who I have said for years is one of the only halfway decent Congress critters out there, he, of course, tweeted, this is big. While this transition may take time, the administration recognizes that privacy and security are not mutually exclusive. The transition will occur over the coming weeks in order to prevent larger disruptions to taxpayers during the filing season. At the same time, the agency continued, it will bring online an additional authentication process that doesn't involve facial recognition. It's not exactly clear how that will be accomplished ahead of the tax filing deadline in mid-April. And as I said on my morning show, I'm saying it can't and they won't. They'll extend the payer thefts deadline again anyway, as they've done ever since the dawn of the COVID era. But James, going over this a second time for me does now help me realize that they say, oh, we're not going to use this service. We're going to come up with something else in a couple of weeks. I don't believe it. But I, of course, know that you never know what the government might bust out. And of course, it could be dangerous. But really, it's it's the language that initially I found disturbing before I found this secondary part disturbing. The IRS will transition away from using a third-party service for facial recognition. Does that just mean they're going to make their own in-house version? Is that what they're going to try and bust out in six weeks? Their own in-house version, I, I joke and guess, James, they'd probably just steal someone else's software and install, of course, backdoors like they usually do. We have been covering this topic a lot from just last month, just this last January, New World Next Week, Payment apps will now have to report transactions to the IRS. Plus, of course, Yellen defends IRS rule requiring banks to report all transactions over $600. James, they are moving on, on every level on this. Absolutely. Yes, they are. Because again, this is part and parcel of that cashless agenda that we were just talking about. And it is a global agenda that is rolling out all around the world right now. So, yes, you just pointed out an extremely important thing that happens in story after story after story. They only want you to read the headline. Oh, I know that story. They're scrapping some facial. Okay, it's over. No, 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 no. Read down. <laughs> because as they say later, they are going to bring online an additional authentication process that does not involve facial recognition. And they say, don't worry, this will not interfere with your ability to pay the taxes owed this year, and it will not apply to this tax season. It has no other impact on the current tax season. So I don't know what that means. It sounds like they're doing a partial backtrack, and undoubtedly that's just a strategic withdrawal so they can regroup and put this forward in a different way. There's a number of things to pursue in a story like this. The one that immediately jumped out at me is, who is ID.me? And why would they win a contract with the IRS to do something like this? So I just did the very, very basic sort of preliminary search and found that ID.me started out as something called TroopSwap, 
which was apparently like a Groupon kind of thing specifically for military members. They then transitioned into Troop ID to provide online authentication for um, military members. And then they start, they rebranded as ID.me and started getting all these contracts from the U.S. Uh, government to uh, to basically provide a bunch of authentication services in, and have done so in a number of states around the U.S. So there's there's something for researchers to dig into. Any budding researchers in the crowd want to look deeper into ID.me and how it ties into this national authentication whatever thing that was signed in whatever it was, 2013? Was it Obama started this? This whole push for an online digital identity that the U.S. government will let the third party... We're, we're, don't worry, it's going to be through the private sector. It's not going to be a government thing, but we're going to award the contracts to certain companies. So there's a there's an important story going on there. But of course, the other obvious side of this is the facial recognition, biometric scanning tied to your taxes. Where have we seen that before? Oh, right. India, the Adhar system, well, biometric ID, government issued, and now it's going to be tied into your taxes and all of this. And what could possibly go wrong? Oops, Adhar was hacked. Oops. Oh, well, there goes a billion people's eyeballs and fingerprints. Which, I don't know, it seems it's kind of difficult to change that. You can change a password, you can't change your fingerprints quite so easily, right? So there are some significant problems with this, but why the push? Why the push? It's almost like we're in this great transitionary phase right now where we're walking around here. We're in the get with the times, James. This is 2022. We're walking around with these slave tracking devices in our pockets, radiating our testicles with more computing power at our fingertips than entire supercomputers had just decades ago. It's a wonderful, marvelous 21st century age. But we're also walking around with these stupid pieces of paper, these laminated pieces of card that that's our identity. And we have to why do we have all that? It's so cumbersome. Can't you just put it on our phones? And eventually, can't you just put our phones in our arms? I mean, it'll be so great once we get the chip, right? We know where this is going. It is all part and parcel. Cashless society, online ID, social credit, CBDC, all of these things are part and parcel of the same agenda. So I'm going to be talking more about the cashless society, and I'm going to be talking more about the digital ID grid. But just to give you a preview of that, as people might have noticed recently, what has Ontario just recently come out with now that they're going through this crisis in Ontario? Oh my God, it's a national insurrection, I tell you. Digital ID in Ontario. Learn about Ontario's digital identity program, which introduces a new convenient way to prove who you are that will make accessing online and in-person services simpler, safer, and more secure. Yay! Well, I don't know. I don't know if it involves scanning your eyeballs or fingerprints at this point, but you know it's coming. I mean, the technology is there. They're just trying to roll it out to the public in the most calm and wonderful way possible. So I have a lot more to say about this in the future, but just know this is all part and parcel of the same agenda. I think whether it's the internet or the roads, they're going to let the old thing fall apart and let the new people who are trusted vaccine takers, they're going to get all the best new stuff while we all wait around like schmucks hoping to what get a loaf of bread for 20 bucks. I don't know. Geico, James, the, the big insurance place here in the States. Geico, Government Employee Insurance Corporation. That's what Geico stands for. That's not what they do anymore, but they started out as a Government Employee Insurance Corporation. And you can see the mission creep from that to all we've talked about, James. I saw, I just recalled, I saw an article this morning. I get, because I'm a radio professional, I get sent all these dumb 
news prep, emails. Here's the thing everybody's talking about. Here are the main stories everybody's talking about. Oh, here's that funny video. It makes sure, of course, that your media is completely homogenized and lame all across the country. One of the articles I saw this morning was, don't worry, I, tax cheats or whatever word they used. The IRS can't keep up. Their computers are so old and everything's so flunky. You can probably get away with not paying taxes, to which I think I even said out loud to the article. I was like, wow, then I could be like the NFL and General Electric and Nike and Apple and not pay taxes. That sounds possibly also like a perfect setup. Oh, they won't catch you. Totally go for it, man. Our third and final story on this New World Next Week, episode 476, might actually be our most pressing and important. The crisis in Ukraine is not about Ukraine. It's about Germany. RonPaulInstitute.org has the article, which begins with an interesting quote, James, the primordial interest of the United States, over which for centuries we have fought wars, the first, the second, cold wars, has been the relationship between Germany and Russia, because united there... They're the only force that could threaten us and to make sure that that doesn't happen. George Friedman, the CEO of essentially corporate intelligence outlet Stratfor, talking to the Chicago Council on Foreign Affairs. Mike Whitney writes, the Ukrainian crisis has nothing to do with Ukraine. It's about Germany and in particular a pipeline that connects Germany to Russia called Nord Stream 2. James Sounds like it was some sort of new VPN they were pushing on people. Again, the language is, is easily confusing to people. Washington sees the Nord Stream 2 pipeline as a threat to its primacy in Europe and has tried to sabotage the project at every turn. Even so, Nord Stream has pushed ahead and is now fully operational and ready to go. Once German regulators provide the final certification, the gas deliveries will begin. German homeowners and businesses get a reliable source of clean and inexpensive energy, while Russia will see a significant boost to their gas revenues. Win-win for both. The U.S. foreign policy establishment is not happy about these developments. They don't want Germany to become more dependent on Russian gas because commerce builds trust and trust leads to the expansion of trade. As relations grow warmer, more trade barriers lifted, regulations eased, travel and tourism increase, and a new security architecture evolves. In a world where Germany and Russia are friends and trading partners, there's no need for U.S. military bases, no need for expensive U.S.-made weapons and missile systems, and certainly no need for NATO. There's also no need to transact energy deals in the U.S. dollar. Transactions between business partners can be conducted in their own currencies. This is why the Biden administration opposes Nord Stream. It's not just a pipeline. It's a window into the future. Warmer relations between Germany and Russia signal an end to the unipolar world order the U.S. has overseen for the last 75 years. This is why Washington is determined to do everything it can to sabotage Nord Stream and keep Germany within its orbit. It's a matter of survival. That's where Ukraine comes into the picture. Ukraine is Washington's weapon of choice for torpedoing Nord Stream and putting a wedge between Germany and Russia. Washington needs to create the perception that Russia poses a security threat to Europe. They need to show that evil Putin is bloodthirsty aggressor with a hair-trigger temper who can't be trusted. And to that end, the compliant media have obviously been given their assignment of reiterating again, over and over again, Russia's planning to invade the Ukraine. They've amassed a bajillion troops along the border, threatening to plunge all of Europe into another bloody war. Meanwhile, I guess everybody's like we're all in prison, James. Everybody's going to have to choose up sides. 
U.S. expert warns France and Germany will throw the Americans under the bus. U.S. President Joe Biden said after his meeting with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, because they're trying, of course, get the approval on this, that he will end the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia to Europe if Moscow sent troops to Ukraine. Quote, if Russia invades, there will no longer be a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it, Biden said during a joint press conference with Scholz. When pressed, of course, for more details on just how exactly the U.S. can achieve this, Biden could only mutter, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Cue false flags and crisis actors I've recently heard about in the State Department, James. Exactly right. This is precisely why I haven't been hyperventilating about the so-called Ukraine crisis, because so far all that that actually entails is the U.S. State Department going out there and saying, look, they're preparing, they're preparing, they're preparing, they're going to do something. They're February 14th, guys, 15th, whatever, whatever date we say, just it's happening, it's coming, it's coming. Everyone else, literally everyone else is going like, I don't, what are you talking about? The Ukrainian uh, was it the president actually was was saying the uh, just a couple of days ago? If you have any evidence to back up this claim, please provide it to us. We'd like to know. <laughs> if you think Russia is going to invade on this date, please give us your whatever data you're going by. They don't have any. Russia is has been conducting drills within its own borders. <laughs> I mean, that's the story, ultimately. And yeah, fair enough. Military drills can be used as cover for mobilization. Sure, okay. But provide us with anything other than that. And if drills are really the operative part here, how about September of 2021? Ukraine holds military drills with U.S. forces, NATO allies. Yeah, right there on Russia's border. NATO-sponsored military drills. And But no, we're supposed to be looking, oh, look at what Russia's doing. I'm not defending Russia here. It's just that this is self-evidently nonsense. But yes, you point out, of course, they've been talking about crisis actors and they're planning some kind of false flag that they're going to use as a pretext for invasion. So the biggest conspiracy theorists are now in the State Department. Uh, but again, we're just supposed to swallow it all. I I I'll take it seriously when something actually happens here. But I'm glad that people are picking up on what this is really about. And I have been talking about this for years now, five years at least. You can go back to a newsletter I wrote in 2017, U.S. Battles Russia for Heart of the EU, where I was talking precisely about this. And I give the background of Nord Stream 2 and talk about its significance and how the U.S. is trying to undermine that project, etc. This this is a known phenomenon. It is taking place. This is about severing that potential Eurasian access to make sure that the Atlantic access is the uh, axis is the one that prevails with the EU relationship. Don't look over there. Look over here. We're your partners, and you have to demonize Russia. So that's what this is ultimately about um, geopolitically. And yes, I do find it ironic, is that even the word at this point? That, yeah, while they're hyperventilating about those neo-Nazi white supremacist truckers in invading the capital of Canada, they are, again, as always, literally aligning themselves with the actual, real, honest neo-Nazi groups in Ukraine, as they have been doing for years and years and years. And if you do not know about that, I will send you back to Foreign Intervention and the Ukraine Crisis, which I put out for GRTV back in March of 2014, talking about all of those documented links, including, of course, John McCain literally appearing at political rallies in Ukraine alongside neo-Nazi pol political leaders there. It's 
insanity the way they're trying to gaslight you. But unfortunately, that has worked uh, to a large extent on a large part portion of the public, public for a long time. But it ain't working no more. People are not buying it. And trust in mainstream media and politicians continues to plummet down and down and down and down. And uh, I think people are finally waking up to the fact, you know, I think they're lying to us. So I am, uh, again, I'm looking at this Ukraine situation. I will believe something when something actually happens. The thing that I am most worried about is the cyber attacks and more cyber attacks happening against Ukraine. And guess who's going to be blamed? Of course, we know. We don't even have to provide a scintilla of evidence. We know it is the dastardly Russian hackers who are all controlled by Putin, right? So the uh, the narrative has been baked in the cake and we are the ones that will either swallow it wholesale, anything you say, U.S. State Department, when have you ever lied to us? Or we will use our critical reasoning faculties and uh, we will decide whether or not such false flag attempts or reverse false flag attempts or whatever this is by the U.S. actually prevail. I believe it was this morning. If not this morning, then yesterday I mentioned I always do this day in history at the end of my morning shows. I believe today is when the USS Maine was suddenly blown up in the harbor and I believe the yellow journalism at Hearst said, you provide the pictures, I'll provide... Is, is that the situation? We're back into this again. And if it was easy to fake things like the Gulf of Tonkin, imagine now all they have to do is say, oh yeah, a computer thing happened. I, James, I was... As, as, as we're pretty good at this, I was typing it out, and then you said it. McCain with the neo-Nazis. I had just typed out, let alone the Biden family business partners in Burisma and Ukraine has to make this a lot stinkier kind of situation. James, I'm even reminded the official story of Project Paperclip. Got to bring those Nazis over here to America so the Russians don't get their knowledge. That's even the, that's the official version of Project Paperclip. And really, what is an episode of New World Next Week without this guy to put a big bow on it all? U.S. Defense Secretary selects Michael Bloomberg as to the chair of the Pentagon's Defense Innovation Board. So if I've mentioned, you know, the media and the military, it's like they're one happy little monarchy. That is New World Next Week, episode 476. James, I, of course, want to mention the store we've been running now, newworldnextweek.com. Corbett DVDs all in stock, other merch on the way. The thing I haven't actually said is huge thanks to everybody out there for making it a, a, a giant success. It is basically all Cassie and I can do to pretty much stay on top of, of all the situations. And as I mentioned last week, no, we, we've never run a store before. So we are learning how to do this as we go. I've mentioned before, probably a couple of times, hey, when you sign up, when you go to the, you know, you'll get an email about new products. That doesn't automatically happen if you just bought a product. You actually have to do like check the box and sign up for email notifications from newworldnextweek.com. That way you will get an email when we do have new items in stock. Again, huge thanks to everybody for making newworldnextweek.com a success. Of course, I still have the post office box, all the ways you can support our work. James, again, we've been doing New World Next Week for nearly 12 years. You and I each doing our own respective work for 15 years. We'll keep doing it, buddy. We will, with the support of people out there. So let me echo that. Thank you to everyone who is out there supporting it. On that note, we will not be back next week, but we will be back two weeks from now. That's true. That is true. Uh, next week, we've got President's Day here in the States, so I'll actually take that Monday off from broadcasting. I, I often joke, back in the day when I, I used to work... 
with my buddy Clyde Lewis at Ground Zero. Dude, he is a workaholic. He would never want to take a day off. We'd have, we'd be in there on Christmas evening if it were up to him. Then I started to work on a different show with somebody else, and she she would take every holiday off. So I'm actually ever since the FM radio station, I've kind of taken that on since I'm doing a regular radio broadcast myself. I take the regular normie holidays off because. If you can imagine, sometimes this crap gets stressful, and I might sound like a crazy, angry person on the morning show, and sometimes maybe need to take a moment to back away. James? That's great. I, I'm very glad to hear that, but Brock, don't get any ideas. There are no holidays in corporate report land, ever. <laughs> on that note, see you in two weeks, James. <laughs> All right, buddy. Cheers. Take care.